welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we hope you join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30. We are located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After the message, take a moment and visit our website at vcctulare.com. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you remember last week, Jesus was eating with the disciples. And Jesus had arranged the dinner. He wanted to spend some time with the guys because he kind of knew what was, or not kind of, he knew what was coming up. uh, While many of them just really didn't have a clue. And he didn't want Judas to kind of mess things up. So he's the one that made all the plans. And and the disciples didn't quite know where they were going, the scriptures say, if you look in in Luke and Matthew and stuff. So so they come to to this setting where where they can enter into this house. And they're eventually sitting down and they're reclining at these low tables. And there's pillows around. They kind of lean back on. and, And as they came in, though, before that, there was nobody there to wash their feet. And whether, you know, Jesus had plenty of people that, that were wanting uh, to help, wanting to volunteer. And I even wonder if he, you know, a couple of his people said, hey, you know, I can come to the dinner. I can, I can help serve. I can, I can wash the feet. I can do this. I can do... And I wonder if he even said, no, no, that's okay. We don't know if that happened. It just kind of makes me wonder. But the disciples were sitting there with Jesus eating dinner. And everyone had dirty feet. And it probably wasn't a pleasant smell as we talked about what was on the streets last week. But no one did anything about this until Jesus got up and decided it's time to, to clean everybody's feet. You know, maybe he was sitting there going, man, <laughs> this room doesn't smell too well. Maybe, we don't know. But he, he decided it was time to clean, this, uh, clean their feet. And it probably took, a, took probably about an hour, five minutes per set of feet, you know, 12 disciples, about an hour to do this very unusual thing. And you would never have a peer, somebody on the same level, much less your Lord and Savior do this. I mean, these are dirty feet they're dealing with. So Jesus sat back down, and he begins in, in verse 18, or a little earlier than 18. He says, do you understand what I've done for you? And no, they, they clearly did not understand. He said, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet... You also should wash one another's feet. So now now on, no more arguments about who's the greatest in the kingdom as they had been doing that during the day. No more arguments about who's going to set up my right hand and, and at my left hand. No more egos here, guys. What I want you to do with those egos is start washing each other's feet. Serve one another like I just served you. So guys, do you think you could do that? And I can imagine them kind of going, yeah. And that's really where we kind of stopped off last time. And, and one of the things I was really thinking about as we move on to the next verses is that Jesus, in the, in the middle of doing all these things, not only did he wash Simon's Peter's, uh, Simon Peter's feet, you know, and Peter's all like, no, Lord, don't wash my feet. And he's like, well, no, Peter, you don't understand. You, I need to. Well, then wash my whole, you know, that whole interaction. You can read that and stuff. But not only did he wash Simon Peter's feet, he also washed Judas's feet. You know, I would think that, that while he's doing it, did he yank the toes? Did he, you know, you're going to cause me so much pain. Ugh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I know he didn't. But he didn't say... Man, I've got something really special planned for you, buddy. You know, let me put a little bit of acid in that bowl before I wash your feet. You know, he, he didn't have that kind of attitude. 
Have you ever done something uh, really good to somebody? I mean, just you've really helped them out or you, you've brought them into your home and, 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 you know, had dinner with them, spent holidays or, or whatever. Have you ever, you know, just become friends with somebody? And later on, they turn out to be a Judas to you. And you almost kind of feel stupid or taken advantage of or, or you almost feel guilty. I just can't believe your friends are like, well, I could have told you. And you're like, well, why didn't you tell me? Oh, man, after all the good stuff that I did, if I had only known. I've thought that. I'm sure many of you have thought that. As I start thinking about that, and I study his word, I start to realize that's really not a Christ-like statement. If I had only known what they would do, I wouldn't have. That's really not a Christ-like statement. Because it's very clear here. Jesus knew who was going to betray him. And yet he's still washing their feet. Wow, that's just amazing to me. And I want to say, okay, okay, okay Lord, I, I get it. I've been walking with you long enough. I, I understand this. You know, you know, I would do the same, I think, Lord. But the reality is, I, probably not. If I knew somebody was going to betray me, would I do that? I don't know. That would be hard. And that's the reality that we're all invo- you know, involved in. This is actually one of the very things that that Judas was bugged about when it came to Jesus. Judas is probably sitting there going, man, I, I've pulled this off. I've already got the money in my pocket where I'm going to betray this man Jesus. I've pulled this off. Because if Jesus knew that the money was already there, he would never do this. I mean, never do this. And that bugs me about him. I thought he was going to be a bigger Messiah than this. You can imagine the different thoughts that, that could th- go through his, you know, his mind. So you have Peter and Judas both sitting here very close with all the other disciples. And Jesus starts making these comments in verse 18. Verse 18, he says, He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Now, Jesus is quoting David from Psalms 41. And, and you know, the Psalms comes out of this relationship. This, this particular Psalm that, that David uh, writes down comes out of this relationship with David and Ahithophel. His friend. His friend that sat at his table. His friend that shared all these things with him. His, part of his government. They were best friends. I mean, they were really good friends. And he said, hey, can you help me out here? Can you be in the authority structure? I need you. His best friend betrayed him. And David wrote this psalm that Christ uh, repeats here. He says, Even my close friend, whom I am trusted, he who shared my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Not just anybody. Folks, it's a cruel world out there. And some of you totally understand that. I mean, sometimes it is dog eat dog. I mean, you expect a certain amount of people to lift up their heel against you. You just don't get along with everybody, right? I mean, you, you understand that. You've even excused yourself probably time to time. You know, you know, when you've done this yourself, you're kind of like, oh, well, you know, that's just business or that's just how it works. But David is mourning the fact that his friend is doing this to him. And at the same time, Jesus is dealing with this. There's not just somebody who's about to betray him. It is one of the 12 guys that he's been, you know, been hanging around with. Somebody who he picked that hung around for the last three years. 
Look at what verse 21 says. Verse 21 says, After he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified. Man, Jesus was hurting here. He was hurting. I tell you the truth. One of you is going to betray me. One of you. One of you. One of you are going to betray me. So there's 12 of them. That's an 8% chance it was any one of them. Verse 22, it says, His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them he meant. Man, John is so honest here. John doesn't say, they were amazed that, you know, that one of them was going to betray him. No. He says, they were worried. It just might be them. Wow. Verse 23, it says, One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to the disciple and said, Hey, hey, ask him which one he means. Hey, you ask him. He really likes you right now. You ask him. There's been, you know, a lot of uh, funny comments made that, that John, you know, John says this more than once, that I am the disciple that Jesus loved. And we all like to laugh at that. It, it kind of really helps us relate to him. And, you know, I'm the one that Jesus loved. In fact, you will not find in any other writings except by who? John, the statement. John mentions this a couple of times. He's going, yeah, hey, I, I'm the one that Jesus loved. I, I'm the one. And we laugh at that, and it kind of helps us relate. But I also want you to, to know and, and think that, that he writes this maybe for a different reason. He wants you to understand how much the Lord has changed him. Do you remember John? I mean, if you've read the other scriptures and, and really about John's life, and you've studied anything about John, you know one thing. His father was named Thunder. So therefore, John is called the son of Thunder. This is a guy who entered into the room. Everybody knew he was here. Not because it was just such a, you know, you know, great guy entering in the room. He was the loud one. He was the boisterous one. He was the one that when he entered, everybody would know he's there. The one, you know, the one kid in Sunday school class or, you know, that, that always needs that little extra attention from the teacher. Now, I, I could never relate to this because I would never... Okay, well, maybe so... So depending on your view of me, there's either hope for children that are like this or there's no hope. So, I, you know, however you want to look at that. You know, his mom went to Jesus and said, can my son sit at your right and in your left hand? I mean, you know, so when Jesus entered into his life, he changed everything for him forever. He changed him into the disciple of love, as we like to call him now. Somebody who cared for others. Maybe he learned from right here, washing feet. Maybe this is where it began for him. And now, if, if you want to see the Lord's uh, you know, effect uh, or, or the effect of Jesus' love, look at John. So John says to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread... He gave it to Judas Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the mill understood why Jesus had said this to him. Since Judas had had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to, to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. Now, John is such a good writer. You know, maybe it's the Holy Spirit that just enveloped him when he was writing these words down. But but you might kind of just read, you know, quickly over this and go, oh, okay, it was night, you know. 
But, but if you're doing that, I want you to slow down sometimes as you're reading and really think through the, you know, the different things that, that is written down. John just told us it was night. As soon as, his, as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. John is a, is a writer and he's all about feeling and passion as he's writing down these important words. I almost imagine as John wrote these down, almost like he, he almost like shivered a little bit as he wrote this down. He would have been, what was that? It was night. John tries to give us this understanding in one statement. There was darkness inside of Judas. There was darkness that, that many of us in this room, you know, have felt in our lives. Maybe it's through somebody else. We're just sitting there going, man, there's darkness there. Or maybe it's us when we've known the right thing to do. I mean, we have known the right thing to do. And Jesus is right there looking at us. And he says, somebody might betray me. Somebody might betray me. Somebody who will betray me. It is the one to whom I will give the piece of bread. Now here's this bread. You know, to, to have known. Jesus just warned Judas, you're going to betray me. He just handed the bread to him. Right after the statement, he just warned them. Jesus hasn't made Judas do this. They didn't line up and he go, okay, not you, not you, not you, okay, you. Jesus right now is ex- you know, d- demonstrating the extent of his love. He washed his feet knowing that he was going to be betrayed, knowing what was going to happen. He even called Psalms you know, 41 putting this huge neon sign. You know, a few weeks ago we talked about those signs that that, that sometime are put out there for us by the Lord. The big sign that says, Hello, are you listening out there? Don't do this. Yet he doesn't take the sign. But at the same time that he's putting out the sign, he knows that Judas' heart has already made the decision. And that's the darkness of Judas. He knows what is right and is doing what is wrong. Have you ever done that? I know what is right. Maybe you even told other people your plans, and they're like, no, you probably shouldn't do that. That's not a good idea. You know, maybe in jest, or, or maybe it's like, no, you shouldn't do that. But we do it anyway. We, we still go with our plan. That is wrong. That is dark. Somebody who has walked with Jesus for three years here, To do this kind of dark thing is going to be miserable afterwards. It was night, John said. Have you ever thought, man, if I could just walk with Jesus, I wouldn't be, or I wouldn't do these things that I'm doing. If I could have just, you know, imagine back, man, if I was one of the disciples, if I could have just been with him, I would be such a different person than I am today. I'm jealous of these guys. I mean, they were there. If I could just see one miracle like Jesus performed. Okay, well, maybe five of them. That would be really cool. One, okay, I get but five of them, that'd be awesome. Yet, we can't use this as an excuse. One of his walked with him and then betrayed him. Man, if you could have walked with him, Judas did. He saw the little girl brought back to life. 
If you could have been one of the disciples, you know, if you could have been sitting by the lake and, and seeing the, the, you know, the, the fish and the bread and Jesus just start giving it out and it multiplies and, you know, so much that there's extra left over. Man, if you could have just been there, if you could have, you know, been one of those where he walked up and said, you, follow me right there by the lake. You're out just working. And he says, follow me. Or you're the tax collector. And he says, follow me. If I could have just been one of those. Man, to make the cut of the 12, if I could have just been on that A-list for three years, oh man, I could be such, such a good Christian. I mean, I I could be a good Christian, Pastor Alan, I I would. Judas blows that completely out of the water, that thought pattern completely. He had it all, and Jesus loved him so deeply. In fact, this passage really demonstrates how far God will go to love somebody. Religion doesn't like to tell you that. Religion likes to say, hey, pal, you got three more chances, and that's it. Jesus completely blows that out of the water by the way he treats Judas here. Right up to the very hour that Judas Iscariot was working his plan, Jesus was reaching out to him. See, the reality is this. Jesus will love you and love you and love you and love you. He'll do it over and over. He gives you the chance and the choice to love him back. And what is sad is really when some of us reject Jesus because we play by the rules of our own lives. We don't look at him as Savior. And it causes pain. All that causes is pain in our lives, and it also causes pain for Jesus. If you are in pain today, I want you to know this. He is reaching out to you. And you have a chance to either admit it or to keep walking in your life the direction you're going. He loves you. I mean, give me a break. You're not Judas. And if he reaches out to Judas, why wouldn't he reach reach out to you? He calls him friend. He teaches him. He washes his feet. Then certainly, he can and does reach out to you. He wants you to draw near to him. But what is amazing is that you can have three years like Judas and still be Judas. Man, that's scary, isn't it? It's scary to me at how good Judas is at fooling all those around him. It's scary. I mean, it's easy to to fool those that are out there on the outskirts, right? But it's not so easy to fool those that you live with. And he pulled it off. Doesn't it scare you at how good you are at lying? Now, some people are just, they could never tell a lie. I mean, they're sitting there going, I mean, the signs, I mean, they had the big neon sign. I'm lying right now, but just because they're no good at it. But for most part, we're all very good at lying, aren't we? Man, doesn't it scare you at how good you are at bending the truth? And I don't, mean, I don't say this to discourage you. I'm just saying, let's recognize some things. So once we recognize it, we can start changing it. We look somebody right in the eye and we bend it. He hung with Jesus for three years. The best they can figure out is he was just totally disappointed in who Jesus came to be. He was not the Messiah that Jesus, that, that he wanted as a Messiah. Jesus was a completely different kind of Messiah. When he started walking with Jesus, he was thinking, this guy's the real deal. He's going to take over politically. And then he didn't do it. And when John and, and, and John 6, you know, or when Jesus and John 6 sent all the crowd away, a whole bunch of people left him. 
and said, I, I, no, I, I can't believe in this guy anymore. A whole bunch. You know, the, you have the 12 disciples, but you also, ever so often in the Bible, it says disciples. And it's talking about the, the hundreds of people that would almost just follow him around. And many people at that point just left him. He said to the disciples, what about you guys? You're talking about the 12 disciples. What about you guys? Are you going to leave with them too? Because if you're going to leave, they're, they're going right now. And they had to make a choice. And I'm sure Judas was thinking, maybe I ought to leave right now. Palm Sunday comes and goes. He has a tremendous opportunity to lead the revolt. We're talking about Jesus here. He could have led the revolt, but he does nothing in Judas' eyes. I bet at that point Judas was like, I'm, I'm done. This is too much. I don't know when exactly the time is, but, but that's, that's it. He hung around for a while, but his heart just was not there. What is it like that you start to follow Jesus because you think he's going to be a certain way? Like, he'll solve all my financial problems. Man, if I just get to Jesus, he'll solve all my financial problems. Or he'll solve all my marriage problems if I just get to Jesus. Or he'll solve all my problems with my son or my daughter or or my family, maybe my dad or my mom. He'll just solve all those problems. Lord, if you'll just do this, I will serve you. Lord, if, if you'll be just, just be the Lord that I'm telling you to be. Lord, if you'll just save this one situation. Lord, here are a pile of my demands. Oh, I, I mean prayer request. And he comes walking through. And he doesn't even have the courtesy to look over your request. And then we say to him, I am disappointed in you. I am mad at you. How could you be God if you don't follow this? But the this is our thinking of what God should be. You know, how can we let this happen? And you know what? For all of Jesus' love, Judas went through it anyway. This tells me something very important about God. God does not force people to do something they don't want to do. Now at the time, the Lord hardens people's hearts in a direction they have already chosen to go. The Lord doesn't make the choice for them. We see this with Pharaoh, and we also see this with Judas. The Lord will will say at times, okay, if that's the direction you really want to go, I've tried to warn you, I've put up several different signs down the road, you've ignored every sign, saying exit here, U-turn, don't go anymore, dead end, danger. And if you still want to go there, you're going to get hurt, but I'll let you do it. The Lord never stops. But here's the deal. This wasn't enough for, Jesus, uh, for Judas. It wasn't even enough that, that, you know, so the bottom line is this. When he loved Judas, Judas didn't love him back. That's what we're talking about today. The choice of loving him back. We have to love Jesus back. Not for who we want him to be, but for who he is. We have to love him back. This is our part of the thing. Lord, I love you. See, Peter made more mistakes than Judas. If you want to compare all the mistakes that are written down, Peter made so many more mistakes than Judas did. But the difference is, Peter loved the Lord back. We have to love the Lord back. Lord, I love you. And if you're crazy enough to love me back and choose me and have me represent you, which is really a ridiculous decision on your part, Lord, me representing you, he is like, but I know you. Okay, I'll love you back then. Verse 31. See if you can kind of pick out the key words that John starts using. It says here, Jesus said, now, 
Now is, the, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will glorify the Son, of, Son in Himself, and will glorify Him at once. And usually when a statement is, is made of us, when we're about to, to do a difficult thing, what glorifies God is that when we partner up with Him and we do the impossible, when my actions glorify Him, it's because I'm doing the impossible through Him. He goes on in verse 33 and says, My children, I, w- I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. John did it again. What was the key word here? From glorify to love. By, all, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Man, this, this, to me this is completely backwards. To me, this is, should be, by this all men will know that you are my disciple if you go out into the world and love them. Go to the world and love them. And Jesus is not saying that. He's saying love each other, serve each other. He just came off of washing their feet and he's saying, now, you know, serve each other, now love each other. By all this, or by this, this all men will know that you are my disciple if you love one another. Jesus is not even going there with this statement. He is saying, just love each other. And if you guys can just start loving each other, if you and Levin can really love each other, not just put up with each other, not just sing Kumbaya, my Lord, and gather around a campfire every summer together. No, I mean love. I want you to love each other as I have loved you. That is all. So we have to think, well, how has he loved us? How has he loved me? Well, I loved you before you were even you. I loved you in your mother's womb. That's when I started loving you. I love you regardless if you love me. I didn't stop loving you based on your behavior. I loved unconditionally, completely. By actions, I loved you. I serve you. You notice the progression? I served you, then I told you to love one another. I wash the feet of the people that you don't even love so much. You might learn to love each other. But Jesus, I mean, this is, this is going to be hard. The disciples kind of look around the room and eat each other. and Jesus, you, you, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I, you know, sometimes we just lump all these guys together. And, and, and as we start to study each disciple, we start to understand how diverse this group actually is. Lord, it's like, well, tell me how diverse they are. Well, Lord, I mean, somehow you've made a mistake here because you've selected some of these guys on this team that I'm not sure. I mean, Matthew. You know, Matthew was a tax collector for Rome. I can imagine somebody thinking to Jesus, Lord, I'm going to level here with you. Have you ever leveled with the Lord, you know, tell him something, you know, he doesn't know? I'm just going to level with you here, Lord. When we walk by Matthew's table and, and you look down and he said, you, you, come and follow me. I did not know that you meant he was going to be one of us. I mean, one of us. I, Lord, come on. 
Do you know what tax collectors did? They put their tables next to synagogues. And they were Jewish. So you have Jewish tax collectors. And Rome basically said, this is how much tax we want you to to give to us. You collect this much. Anything you collect over that, you get to keep. Well, that's a pretty good, you know, incentive for a salesman, right? Anything above this amount, you get to keep. Well, what are you going to do? You're going you're gonna to make sure you put your table right there next to the synagogue. And, oh, hey, George, hey, have you paid your Roman tax yet? Well, you get over here. Yeah, I mean, you're going to be going after people in a sense. This is who we're dealing with. You know, they, tax collector, they saw what kind of donkey you drove. They knew. See, Rome was very smart. They would make you the richest guy in town. If you will work for us, you could always find a guy that wants to be rich, right? You could imagine them going, you know, growing up, you're always looking at different kids and you're asking parents, what is your son going to be? Oh, my son's going to be a fireman. My son's going to be a policeman. You know, kids, they always want to be firemen, policemen. Great, you know, great thing to, to want to be. You know, my, my son's going to be a fisherman. My son's going to be a rabbi. My, my son's going to be a tax collector. A, 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 a tax what? That's not something you wanted your kids to be. Now, Lord, it was one thing to select Matthew for the team. But later you get to Simon the Zealot. Do you know what these zealots were about? This was his, not his last name. Zealot wasn't his last name. It was who he was. It was a political party that he was a part of. Zealots were actually named after a knife, which was called a zealot. It was like a short, curved dagger, and it would be able to go in your robes. It was a weapon, and they would use these on festival days, days of celebration. They were assassins. You know who they would go after? Those who had betrayed the Jews to the Romans. They would go after Jews who were betraying themselves to the Romans, who were helping the Romans. So you have the zealot over here, and you have Matthew over here, and the whole time for three years, they're just kind of looking, they're just eyeing each other. They're just totally distrustful of each other. And the Lord is saying, you guys need to love each other. Talking about, brings a whole new meaning when he talks about love your enemy. The enemies are right there sometimes. What is up with you, Lord? You put these two guys on the same team. And after three years, the Lord says, I got a new one for you. I got a new commandment. Remember, three years they've been together. And the Lord finally gets to this commandment. Okay, guys, you ready? You're going to love it. Love one another. Oh, Lord, that's hard. And he's like, no, 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 I'm not done. As I have loved you, to the point where Simon the Selet, you would walk by Simon's table and say, I see great potential in you. I don't see you being the, the one is, who's, who's just going to, you know, assassinate me. I don't see you as the one who, who's going to come after me. I see great potential in you. You hang with us. You come be a, a part of our church. You know, the disciples are a lot like us. I would never do that. Would you? Look at somebody totally opposite and you're kind of like, I mean, God keeps saving all these goofballs. And I don't understand it sometimes, you know? It's so irritating. It's like one in three people that God saves are so hard to get along with. So think 120 people. That leaves 40. Lord, if you're going to make me love them, could I at least be involved in picking who I want to love? 
Have you ever heard the story of, of the three guys uh, on an island? I, I don't think it's true, but, you know, I mean, it involves a genie in a bottle. It's not in the Bible. But there's three guys, and they find this bottle, and they rub on the bottle, and out pops a genie, and the genie goes, oh, wow, hey, three guys, you all get one wish, so, so make it a dandy. And the first guy says, man, I, I, miss my fam- I miss my family so much. Send me back to them, and I will take care of them like I've never taken care of them before. And boom, he's gone. Back with his family. Second guy goes, man, I, I never enjoyed what I did before at work. So, so I want to cha- go back and change careers. I don't really want to waste my life. Boom, he's gone. He's out enjoying himself. The third guy is, is saying, you know, I'm just thinking, since those two guys left, I'm just really lonely. I would like for them to come back here to be with me. Boom, those two guys are right back. I mean, isn't it always one and three? I mean, at least frogs can eat what bugs them. Jesus has the audacity to not only want us to, you know, not only to want to love us, but to say, okay, now you guys, you need to get started. Love each other like I loved you. Okay, you ready, guys? Let's get around. Break. Now go do it. And you say, man, I can't wait to get to heaven because I, get, you know, I can just get away from all these church people. See, a real church is an honest church. An honest church is a healthy church. And a healthy church just admits that it's hard for us to love each other sometimes, right? And we can stop, like, uh, you know, stop acting like it isn't. See, the first step to, to anything is admitting it. Where we go, oh man, oh man, I, I love this place, but the more I get to know, there's, there's some goofballs. I'm including myself in that goofball range, okay? Man, maybe, maybe they're on staff, or maybe this is the pastor. Now, this is a place in the sermon where most preachers will, will lay a huge guilt trip on you. Let's all get out there and love one another. Buck it up. But you know what? I've, I've tried that. I've done that in the past. But you know what the reality is? Jesus doesn't expect these guys to get out there and do it on their own. He doesn't. Every single command Jesus gives you will be an impossible command. Have you ever noticed that? You're sitting there going, Jesus gives this command, and you're going, man, this is impossible. I don't think I can do it. Jesus' commands are impossible. See, I'm still back there last week where Jesus says, wash feet. And the Lord says, no, 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 Alan, that, that was just the appetizer. Here's the main course. Now after you wash their feet, love them. I want you to love them just as I have loved you. Okay, Lord, you know, we get all fired up. Okay, Lord, I, I'm going to do that. And we fall flat on our face. First time out. Before we even get out to the parking lot, we're already flat on our face. That's because we're trying to do it in our own power. And Jesus doesn't want us to do it in our own power because you can't. You won't be able to. But on the other hand, Jesus will never ask you to do something that you cannot do. Because he can do it through you. I can do all things, the Bible says. I can do all things. What is the rest of the verse? Through Christ who gives me strength. There's a couple of us that sometimes we're really hard to love. I mean, down at the other church, not here. I know. Or maybe it's this section. This section, you're okay. This... 
See, the reality is the more we get to know Jesus, the more we realize that it's, it's hard to love one another sometimes. Because we always think it's the other guy's problem, right? It's always them. It's never us. And we say, Lord, we've got to get to the point where we say, Lord, it's hard to love me sometimes. Can you change that in me? He changed all 11 of these guys. And the Apostle Paul, who wasn't even in the room, who hated Christ and what he stood for, who killed Christians, and after Jesus changed him, he wrote in one chapter that we call the love chapter. This is one of the most famous chapters of the Bible. And if, and if, you know, if your kids ever, if I ever do one of your kids' weddings, I will quote this. He goes on, he says, you know, I could do so much, but if I don't have love in my life, I am nothing. And then in verse 4, he gets to the point where he says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Do you know what Paul is doing here? He is defining who Jesus is. Jesus is this. Jesus is that. He is this. He is that. And then Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And then he puts his own name in there. It's like reading his journal. Paul is patient. Paul is kind. Paul does not envy. Paul does not boast. Paul is not proud. Paul is not rude. Paul is not self-seeking. Paul is not easily angered. Paul keeps no records of wrong. Paul does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Paul always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Paul never fails. Now, I'm not trying to equate us with Jesus, but wow, put our name in there because that's how Jesus wants us to love. This is impossible in our humanness. But with the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God, it can be you and it will be you. God promises it if you follow him. You know, we'd like to think that there's only a few people in this world that God has chosen to be saints, right? But Paul clearly says we are all saints. But if we have this view of only a few people are supposed to be like this, then that just means the rest of us are mediocre churchgoers, right? The reality is God's plan is for every one of us to turn us into people who love each other so much and so effectively that the world will watch and say, i got to get into that group. i got to be around these people. I cannot believe this group of people. They are amazing. Amazing. And they get to the middle of us, they don't go, well, I knew something was up. Ugh. They go, they're still amazing. These people love each other. Matthew, I want you to love Simon, the zealot. James and John, I want you to love Peter. You're all loud. Peter, you're always asking the wrong questions. I want you to love each other. Love them as I have loved you. And that, combined with the infilling of the Holy Spirit, you're going to rock the lives of people that you come in contact with. A new command I give you. Love one another. 
A command. It's not an option, but a new command. Man, Lord, that, that you would show us how to love each other. Wouldn't that be awesome? For the Lord to lead us in that loving of each other? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the love you've shown in, in our lives, in my life. I would not be the person that I am today without that love. I pray, Lord, that, that for those that are out there that are sitting there going, I just want to feel love, that, that your Holy Spirit would just show them how much you love them, whether that's through people here or just through, through them spending time with you, or maybe that's just through your Spirit, just, just totally overwhelming them with your love. Lord, for those that are feeling your love, I pray that they just turn around and look outward and try to give that love to other people. That we truly become people that really love each other. Not just tolerate each other. Not just want to, you know, spend a few minutes but walk away. But we truly love each other. That doesn't mean we always agree, Lord. We understand that. But love is just on such a different level. Lord, I pray that you give us your heart your mind, your desires about those that we're around. That we not see the things that bug us, that we not see the things that irritate us, but we see the core of who these people are, who that person is, the person that you want to change. And for some reason, you've chosen us to do that. I don't know why, Lord, but you have. And I thank you for that. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you in this world that really is lacking love. That His face never turn from you, that your love will go out into this world and change lives. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.